The Crimes Ireland podcast is intended for a mature audience. Hello to you all and welcome to the second series of episodes on the Crimes Ireland podcast. Thank you for listening and supporting the show so far. I hope you enjoy this interesting case I have to begin the series. And although no crimes seem to have been committed, it was such a curious tale I wanted to share it. Other media outlets and newspapers and such have a lot of stories in this, but I thought I would share it as I'd ask people for their own opinions on certain expert parts, uh, so to speak. So I thought I would share their views also uh, without actually revealing who they are. If you have any questions or information relating to the case that I have not mentioned, or just want to say hello, please send them to crimesireland at gmail.com. And as the way things went in Series 1, you can also donate to the show on PayPal using the same email. I would very much appreciate this, as it keeps the show going and pays the bills as far as research and such is concerned. Or, if you would like, search Crimes Ireland on buy us slash me a coffee. I don't know which one it is, and I'm just going to keep it to both. Maybe it's not even that one. Now, this is the tale of Peter Bergman. Ross's Point Beach is about 10 minutes drive from Sligo Town, which is on the west coast of Ireland. A scenic, photogenic place with nothing but the Atlantic Ocean between there and North America slash Canada. Arthur Kinsella and his son Brian were jogging along the beach. Training for an upcoming triathlon they were competing in together. It was 6.45am on a bright June morning and the beach was barren, beautiful and quiet, seemingly to them, with no other walkers on the beach at the time. Very soon they would discover another man, laying lifeless further down the strand, close to the rocks. This father and son pair then said the Lord's Prayer and then called Garda Siakona, the police force in the Republic of Ireland. Sergeant Terry McMahon received the call about the discovery shortly after and sent officers out to the scene while he went to get a tarpaulin, knowing he would need it for the case. Arriving ten minutes after his colleagues and shortly before the medical examiner, he covered the body until they would arrive. Then, at approximately 8.10am, the medical examiner, Dr. Valerie McGowan, arrived on the scene, and she began her examination. This would start a fruitless five-month investigation and the ongoing mystery of the man that called himself Peter Bergman. On the 12th of June 2009, the mysterious Peter Bergman left Derry slash London Derry bus depot between 2.30 and 4pm. It is believed he had asked an initial bus driver for a bus going to Sligo but it wasn't the correct one. After finding the right bus, he got on and arrived in Sligo carrying a black carry-on bag and a standard black shoulder bag. He got a taxi into the town centre. Similar in a way to the buses, earlier the first hotel was unable to accommodate him. Using another taxi, Mr Bergman went to the Sligo City Hotel which had some rooms available. While checking in, the man asked for free nights and paid in cash, writing his name and address in the check-in book. 
This is where the name Peter Bergman came from, and the address he gave then was Amstetterson 15 4472 Vienna, Austria. Apologies for the pronunciation of the first word. Shortly after checking in, he had started his usual but unusual schedule. This comprised of leaving the hotel multiple times with a purple plastic carrier bag, seemingly full. Then, coming back again, it looked as though he did not have the bag in his possession. At least this seemed to be the case until he left once again with the purple bag, once again full. He repeated this routine a few times and he was seen on the CCTV, although he was extremely careful and methodical to not be seen disposing of the contents of the bag on any cameras. He actually sought out bins that were not covered by the CCTV, assumedly disposing of the contents, folding and placing the bag and putting it back in his pocket. According to hotel staff members at the time, he was prompt for breakfast each morning, being friendly and saying hello, yet keeping distance. He never seemed to have many or any unnecessary conversations, just the ones he needed to have, like the taxi and the bus drivers, hotel staff, and then that was it. The next morning, Saturday the 13th, he had his early morning breakfast as usual and then went back to his hotel room for an hour or so. Then he set out making his way to the town centre. And at around 10.15am he arrived at the local post office and there he bought 8 82 cent stamps. This is about 73 pence in 2009 and about a pound today. He also bought a few meal stickers. If he sent out meal of any sort it has never been traced since. Once back at the hotel he had a smoke outside. He would do this from time to time during his stay, and again keeping to himself, at most saying hello or some other greeting. Sunday the 14th of June, he stepped out of his accommodation between 11 and 11.30am, making his way to a taxi pickup point. He asked the driver for suggestions of a quiet beach, where he could swim, and the driver had suggested Ross's Point Beach. This was a 10 to 15 minute drive from the centre of Sligo town. Both were now travelling in the taxi and then they arrived at the beach. Peter Bergman looked out towards the beach and asked the driver to wait one moment and he got out. He looked around for a few moments, standing just outside the vehicle and then getting back in, asked to be taken to the hotel. The next day, Monday 15th of June, he checked out using the late checkout option at around 1.06pm, carrying the same black shoulder bag and the black hold-all type bag and the purple plastic bag. The hold-all bag he was carrying was not the one he had arrived in Sligo with. Walking on a route from the hotel to the bus station via Key Street and then Wine Street, he stopped at the Quayside shopping centre, milling about awkwardly for a few minutes and then moving on to the bus station at about 1.16pm or slightly after. Once there, he set down all three of the bags below a table and he had ordered some food at the station. This was a cafe slash shop sort of deal and he ordered a sandwich and coffee, sitting and consuming both at the table. While eating, he would take a piece of paper or different pieces of paper from his pocket read whatever was written on them, and then returned them to his pockets. After a while, he read one of them once more, 
and proceeded to tear them up and place all of the shredded pieces into nearby rubbish bins. At 2.20pm, he entered a bus heading to Ross's Point, which would take 15 and 20 minutes to get there, roughly. The driver asked him single or return fare, and Mr Bergen purchased a single fare ticket. After his arrival at the beach, some press and other media had reported he was seen to up to 16 people that evening on the bus and along the beach strand. One pair who were walking described them as seeming tall, of a slight frame and with greying short hair. Others who saw him saw him with a newspaper and some other people did not. Another witness stated they felt he seemed somewhat out of place. And matching his behaviour earlier at the hotel, he would say hello or some other small greetings, wave at passers-by on the beach sometimes too. The reported last sitting of Peter Bergman was there that night at around 10.30 or 11pm, where he was seen by a young couple. They had crossed paths walking the ramp at an exit slash entrance to the beach, with him coming down the ramp. They said hello and he did not vocally reply, just giving a nod in passing. The couple had also stated that the encounter was memorable to them as it was so late at night and they had not typically met others walking at that time of night on the other occasions they walked there themselves. Sadly, having no family or other loved ones coming forward to identify him, he had a very small funeral service held for him in Sligo. This was attended by only four. In the post-mortem report, it states the naked body of a male aged 55 to 65 with grey greying hair and a slight frame was found with his clothes scattered along the shore with the following either near his clothes slash body or in the pockets of the clothes themselves. Shoes, socks, the leather jacket he had worn most of the time he was spotted, hotel soap, presumably from the Sligo City Hotel, a wristwatch and aspirin. The last item will seem a little more curious once you listen to the post-mortem part of this podcast. More curious and telling about the clothes was that they all had the tags cleanly cut off as if with scissors or a similar type of utensil. No wallet, money or any types of documented identification was present. The cause of death was listed as drowning and that his clothes were possibly removed before the time of death. A possible method or resource to help with the identification was thought to be his teeth through finding who performed the extensive dental work he had done on him. Mr Bergman had some crowns, some bridges, a small silver filling along the gum line of a tooth, left side of his lower jaw. Lastly, he had a full gold tooth on the back right of his upper jaw. Some of the reasons that identification through dental analysis is difficult is that in Europe at least, a large number of records are still kept in analog form and not in any database. The friend I said that could give a more expert opinion on some of the more technical parts of the case said that maybe a forensic odontologist could gather more data through analysis of derived carbon incorporated within the enamel of the teeth, along with a stable isotope 13C, 
and then narrow down a geographical location of an individual. I believe the history of what you eat can be gone back through like the layers in rocks when finding fossils. It wouldn't be as basic and as crude as this, but I believe it can be done in some sort of way. Being well-groomed was in scant contrast to his general health, as it was stated in the report also that he had an extensive cancer of the prostate, with some tumours in the bones. This is called metastasis. And this metastasis occurred as a result of having cancer of the prostate beforehand, with this causing bone weakness in some cases, but he had no signs of fractures or breaks in the bones that were reported. Also, past signs of multiple heart attacks at some point and one kidney removed. For all the ailments and illnesses Peter Bergman suffered, the toxicology report shows he had not consumed any over-the-counter pain medication or stronger opiate-based medicines and would likely have been in considerable pain. I hinted earlier that aspirin would become curious later. I had said this because the stated sentence previously about the toxicology did not show any of this in his system, so we have no answer but to ask why a man in pain would not take any medication to combat it. I think this is especially true as he had it readily available on his person and would probably have done him no harm consuming some of it there and then. This was an extremely interesting and sometimes emotional case to research as I felt there was a sense of a final option type of thinking from Peter Bergman in some ways. Uh, to back this up in a way, I think it's the post-mortem that states the clothes are likely to have been removed before death, but he did not pass by hypothermia. I would suspect that you would pretty quickly in the cold waters around that area. Uh, even in June, when he was found, I think they would be quite cold at that time of night, especially uh, just around the time he was last seen. More recently, the case has gotten a lot more wide coverage, online at least, and I happened to discover it while reading the top 10 Irish mysteries list. In there, I found some stories and coverage through uh, the larger media outlets. It was interesting for his mystery stirring effect, but he was another person somewhere else, given a different name by his mother, father or both. With a life lived, aspirations aspired to, and others not. Thoughts and raw emotions on his current health status, I'm sure, and with a seeming certainty while carrying out his actions in Sligo. His actions for the rest of his life and how it may come to an end. Maybe in the future, an ID can and will be made. I believe personally it can. Perhaps going through the dental records, or if possible from his DNA profile, I'm sure the Gertie have done this already. Someone close to me suggested trying one of those generic genetic tests for like ancestry. You see them advertised everywhere nowadays. You could use this maybe to close in on a country or region in the world with a match most prevalent in his genetic makeup or like ancestors or relatives, etc. Much like the case with uh, D'Angelo I'm not so sure, but I assume the police obviously have done this, and much more, but if there's any new option at all, it's worth a try. In terms of being identified through family, friends, 
acquaintances, etc., it surprises me that there has been no one coming forward in any capacity. Contacting the investigators, missing person reports, nothing at all. I believe he did have some form of communication with someone close or someone to pass a message on to someone else because of the untraced letters he may or may not have posted. I could not find out anywhere if the newspaper he was seen with that night was found. So obviously I assume it was not located. In closing, I really cannot tell how to feel for him as it's hard to know if it was a sad tragedy and he felt that there was no other option and that he had to do this or that he was happy enough to make plans to end his life uh, considering that he had cancer so badly and other ailments. I hope overall there is no one left in limbo in his life or close to Mr Bergman that did not receive some closure and that the letters that he sent were in fact received. Obviously adding that I hope it brought some resolution for them in any small way. That was the case of Peter Bergman and thank you very much for taking the time to listen to this and what was a strange case with all the secrecy and no real information on the man himself. If you have anything you'd like to tell me about the case, perhaps information I've missed out or just want to say hello, please send it to crimesisland at gmail.com. Or, and this is the best way to support the making of this podcast, is to donate using the Crimes Island email address I just mentioned on PayPal. Any little amount will help as it goes to research archives, uh, like access fees mainly, but small other uses too. Extreme thanks to all who can do and do this, and they don't even think of the day-to-day cost because I love researching and putting forth the stories of people long ago and some not so much to you. The buy us slash we slash me option is always available too on the website. Whatever way you want to support the show, I am really appreciative regardless and hope, really hope, you return for some more. All the best and see you next time.